Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now let's start off with the show. With Monday Night Raw, Becky Lynch will be out here. She's in the ring, and Becky would welcome everybody to Raw. She will say that she's glad to be back after her time away from injury. The fans would chant Becky's name, and this will make her go out to the chill with the crowd since she is a people's champion, if you will. She's kind of really taking over the whole people's uh, embracement here. So Becky would hop the barricade and high-five the audience members and stand on the audience's uh, steps as they go up and down the steps, like they go into the auditorium and all that stuff. So Becky's there. She would chat with some of the audience members, and she would say that while she was gone, she saw some new faces emerge here on the show, and some old faces return. Becky will say that she can't wait to slap all of them across their face, and the fans are just cheering for it because Becky's back to being the man. She's back to being well-liked. This will lead to Bailey to come out and call Becky an idiot for hanging around with the crowd. Bailey will say that the fans respect someone like Becky who just came back from injury while she has been putting in the work for the last four months. She will list the ladder match. She will list the Last Woman Standing match, and she will list even war games that she was just in. Becky would tell Bailey that people don't like her because she's a loser, which, again, I do gotta admit, she's right. Bailey wasn't supposed to lose some of those matches, but she did. Always when it comes down to the big championship ones, she just can't win. So, when she says this, Becky would say that she could come back in that ring and fight Bailey, and as Becky would walk down the steps, you would see Dakota Kai and Io Sky walk behind Becky. Becky would turn around and see Dakota and Io, and she would turn and go towards them and starts fighting them. Bailey will leave the ring and join with her girls, so now it's a three-on-one situation for Becky, and the ladies will fight up the steps into the building's auditorium towards the merch stand, and you will see all three of those ladies, well, technically all four of them, start grabbing merch to hit each other. Now, I'm going to say this right now. Becky held her own. She held her own against... Damage control, even though EO does have a neck brace on. But it was a 3-on-1 assault. You would think that they should put supposed to be putting the boots to her, but no, Becky holds her own until security comes in and break ups the fight. And that's the last that we would see of Becky tonight. Now, after this, we would get a matchup of Mia Yim going against Rhea Ripley, who had Dominic Mysterio in her corner. This match would end in a no contest when Dom would interfere by getting on the ring apron. And distracting the ref, Mia will walk over towards Dom and toss him in the ring. And as she comes towards him, Rhea would grab Mia and start grounding, pounding on her. Dominic will be in the ring clapping up, like, for his lady. And this will send AJ Styles to come down to the ring. Then the rest of the Judgment Day will come down. That is Finn Balor and Damian Priest. And then the club of Gallows and Anderson. And now you have a 4-on-4 person, uh, just complete clash here. The club will clear the ring of the Judgment Day, and as the Judgment Day will walk up the ramp, AJ will get a microphone and say that he challenges to Judgment Day to an eight-person tag match, and the Judgment Day doesn't turn that down, so they go back to the ring, and now we have our eight-person tag match here. The Judgment Day would win that match by pinfall when Rhea Ripley would kick Medium behind her leg and then hit the Riptide for the win. This was a real chaotic-style matchup here. You had everybody getting their stuff in. Again, the fans do not like Dominic. 
Dominic is literally the most hated man, I think, in WWE. Whether on Raw or SmackDown, anytime Dominic says anything, the fans boom. Anytime he goes in to make a tag, he gets booed. I mean, Dom is just getting a lot of people hating him. And for the job that he's doing, he's doing an excellent job at it. Especially with him being like the boy toy of Rhea Ripley here. And Rhea Ripley's playing her whole situation perfectly too she's the powerhouse of judgment day and she's able to control dominic by just whispering something in his ear she's doing exactly what she needed to do and this was basically also mia yim's come out party because the fans got to see what mia yim could do besides just competing in war games but this is like their true actual like glimpse of what mia can do and mia was actually able to body slam finn balor and that got the fans popping too so again this was a nice, chaotic matchup that I think everybody should, if you have time, try to go back to Raw and watch at least the eight-person tag match here. Now, after this, we would get the Bloodline coming out to the ring. Everybody, the Uso, Solo, Sammy, no Roman or Paul Heyman here. This is Raw. Roman does not make appearances on Raw unless he truly has to, and this one he didn't have to. Uh, Sammy and the Usos and Solo would come to the ring. They would be out here to peacock about their win at War Games. Sammy would tell Jay, well, he would tell Jimmy that for the last six months, Jimmy has always had his back, and he will never forget that, and he's the true definition of down since day one. Sammy would then move over towards Jay and say that he knows that they haven't been on good terms, but when he finally got the embrace from Jay at Survivor Series, it meant the world to him. Sammy would continue by saying from here on out, Jay now knows that Sammy is loyal and has his and the bloodline's back. Sammy would then extend his hand out to Jay, and Jay will look at it and slap it away and then walk over to hug Sammy. Now, again, the fans are loving this because everybody's went on this whole crazy ride with the bloodline and how Sammy was trying to, on trying to get their acknowledgement, and now he finally got everybody's whole acknowledgement here. Sammy would hug Jay back. They will wave over to Jimmy to get in on the hug. Jimmy would get in. The fans love it more. They would try to get Solo Sokoa to join in. Solo being the stoic bodyguard, he doesn't get in, but he puts his arms down, and it looks like he's about to walk over, but Kevin Owens' music would hit, and he would come out on the stage, ruining the moment. Sammy would tell Kevin that he needs to wait right there on that stage and think about what he's about to do before he does something stupid, and Kevin Owens would say that he's not out here for that. He's actually out here to tell Sami Zayn something. I totally get it. I really do. I completely understand why you chose to do what you did on Saturday. I do see because how many times throughout our careers have I done the exact same thing to you? How many times did I turn on you, that I stab you in the back, whatever you want to call it? So I get it. I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm, I'm not mad at you. I, I can't blame you for it one bit, okay? So I'm, I'm not here to fight you. It's actually quite the opposite because see, since Saturday, I, uh, I can't help but think about how for 20 years now, 20 years, our careers have been linked to one another, but uh, man, after Saturday, I don't want to fight you, I don't want to team with you, I don't want to ride to shows together, I'm just, I'm just done, I, I don't want anything to do with you. So when Kevin tells this to Sammy, you will see the deject look in Sammy's face and Sammy would suck in his feelings. He'd say, you know what? I feel the exact same way. I don't want to deal with you. I'm tired of you. I don't have to be around you anymore because I don't need you. I have a family now. 
And then Kevin Owens will remind Sammy that no matter how many times they tell you that you're family, you're not their actual blood. Jay will step in for Sammy and say that Kevin Owens is jealous because he doesn't have any family here. Kevin Owens will say that he challenges Jay to a match later tonight because he says that he's done with Sammy, but he's not done with Jay. So Jay would accept, and we would get that match later in the main event. I like this segment. I completely did. My only critique here is that just as a nerd, again, I know the whole backstory. I believe anybody in the WWE knows the whole backstory of Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens here is that Kevin Owens even admitted that, yo, I understand exactly why you did what you did even after I backstabbed you so many times. And he says this out of his own mouth that he's backstabbed him. Kevin Owens has decided he's going to cut the cord of him and Sammy. How can you get upset after Sammy just makes a decision for himself one time after you always constantly stabbed him in the back and he's decided to just happen to give you a piece of your own medicine one time and you're going to just decide to like, all right, I'm snipping you off. That's a bad friend. That is completely a bad friend. I would like to see how they're going to how they're going to mix this story up. Because again, the final destination to me, I still think we're gonna get Kevin Owens and Sammy somehow being connected back together again, some way in fashion with him either saving Sammy from the bloodline or some kind of thing. But it's gonna end up with Sammy and Kevin Owens back together in more than likely a tag team. I believe that's where this whole story is going with Sammy and the bloodline and Kevin Owens. But we will have to see when we actually get to that destination. Now, after this, we would get the Street Profits going against the Alpha Academy. Street Profits would win the match by pinfall when they would hit the tag finish, the Sky High Frog Splash on Chad Gable for the win. This was Montez Ford's return match back from injury. I believe he had like something wrong with his one of his legs. And Montez and Angelo Dawkins, they performed like they never lost anything. I mean, these two guys just did what they had to do. Montez was still able to fly high in the sky. Even he was actually able to scoop slam Otis up. And that, again, had got a big pop from the people. So everybody's happy to see Montez back. Everybody's happy to see the Street Profits back. And I'm hoping that we get something with the Street Profits coming up to Royal Rumble time. Hopefully we get a big moment with Montez and uh, Angelo are actually like, probably like, the last 10 guys standing in the ring because Montez, everybody's waiting for Montez to get that main event thing because he's charismatic, he has the ability, and everybody wants to see him get in the main event sometime. And if we start pushing for it now, we can start grooming him into a main eventer. Same thing with Dawkins, too. Let's give credit to Dawkins. Dawkins is a great professional wrestler. So people might be wanting to push for Dawkins, too. He just doesn't get talked about a lot. But give him that time, and I guarantee people want to say, you know what, these two... They're great as a tag team, but I guarantee you, in the main event spot, they can actually do what they got to do. So, hopefully, we're starting to get into that direction with both of these two guys. Now, after this, we would get a in-ring promo from the new United States champion, Austin Theory. Theory would be out here to shove his win at Survivor Series in the audience's faces. He says that he never wants to be called a kid again after beating both Bobby Lashley and Seth Rollins for the United States champion. He says that he isn't the next big thing. He is the now present and future of this business and that Monday Night Raw belongs to him. Seth Rollins will come out and he's in a gear that I swear that you cannot pull off. I don't care. No other guy on this planet could pull off. The only guy that could ever pull off the gear, the kind of clothing that Seth was wearing was Prince. That's the only man that could pull that gear off. I guarantee you just Google Seth Rollins Austin Theory, or go to YouTube and go to WWE's YouTube page, 
and just look at uh, Seth and Theory's promo, and you see exactly what Seth was wearing, I guarantee you, you'll say, oh yeah, Prince is the only guy that can pull that stuff off. Other than that, no man should ever be wearing that type of clothing the way that Seth wore it. I don't care what you say. I mean what I said. Uh, Seth will come out to the ring. Seth will tell Theory that he knows that Raw belongs to Seth, not Theory. Rawls would poke at Theory by congratulating him on his win at Survivor Series, but he would get up close to Theory and call him a kid to his ear. Rollins, knowing that he's under the skin of Theory, would say that we don't have to wait to fight. We can do it right here, right now. Theory controlling his anger. He will go up to Seth and say, we're going to fight, but it's going to be on the champion's time. And Theory would again remind Seth that he isn't his kid, and he will leave the ring. So again, we're building up for Theory and Rollins here. Theory's whole situation is that he's a man now. He's no longer that dumb, uh, overzealous, cocky, rookie kid that just wanted to take selfies and everything. We're kind of straying away from that. We're trying to get into this manly, mean theory here. Again, I'm still not on board. I get where the character is trying to go here. But again, we'll have to see as the weeks go. And maybe I'll change my tune on it. Maybe. After this, we get an Anything Goes matchup with Dexter Loomis going against The Miz. Miz tried to get out of the match earlier when he uh, went up to Adam Pierce and said that his hand got re-injured. Pierce would say, your hand isn't re-injured. You're faking it because your hand injury was on the other hand. So Adam Pierce would make Miz go out there to have his match with Dexter Loomis and say Anything Goes. And the condition is if Miz does lose, he has to pay Dexter Loomis what he owes. and he. Well, Dexter is now on the Raw roster. So Adam Pierce is out there with the Miz's money, and he's out there with a Raw contract just in case Dexter wins. Dexter would win the match by submission when he applies the silencer on Miz, and Miz taps out. After the match, Dexter would slide out of the ring, sign his Raw contract, then take the money that the Miz owes him. Dexter would then hand some of the money and pass $100 bills to kids around the barricade. Miz would attack Dexter from behind and take his money back. And as he's walking up the ramp and he's turning around to gloat about getting his money back, he would eat a super kick from Johnny Gargano. Johnny would then take the money, hand it back to Dexter, and that's the end of this. So Dexter Loomis is now on the Monday Night Raw roster and hopefully putting an end to this Dexter Loomis and Miz storyline. After this, we get Candice LeRae going against Dakota Kai. Candice would win the match by pinfall by hitting a swinging neck breaker from the second turnbuckle for the win. Good match here, nothing more for me to say. Now it's time for the main event. Kevin Owens going against Jay Uso with the bloodline around ringside. Kevin Owens would win the match by pinfall when Jay would go for the Uso splash, but Kevin Owens would move and Jay would land on his feet and Kevin Owens would hit him with a stunner and pin him and that's the end of it. Now, here's the thing for this match. Sami Zayn did not try to distract Kevin Owens in this match. He didn't try to grab him or anything. He was just out there and just shouting support to Jay. While on the opposite end, Jimmy and Solo did try to interrupt and actually mess around with Kevin Owens in this ring, in this matchup here. So again, this proves that Sami still has some uh, feelings towards Kevin Owens. And Kevin Owens could have easily attacked Sami Zayn out there, but he did not. So again, Kevin Owens still has some feelings towards Sami. So again, we're still... Going with the whole, is Sammy really with the bloodline? He we know he's with them, but he hasn't attacked Kevin Owens just out of pure like necessity. 
He only did it at Survivor Series to prove his loyalty. But other than that, that's it. But you still haven't seen Sammy like attack Kevin. So we'll have to continue to see how this whole story progresses. But Raw would end with Kevin Owens getting the win over main event Jay Uso. And now that's your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now going off to NXT. Shawn Michaels in this episode would announce the participants going into the Iron Survivor matches for both the men and women. For the men, it will have Carmelo Hayes, J.D. McDonough, Grayson Waller, and Joe Gacy. For the women, it will be Kiana James, Zoe Stark, Cora Jade, and Roxanne Perez. Now, for both the men and women, there will be a final participant going into both of those matches, but to find out who's going to like take the spot in both of those matches, it will be a triple threat match next week on NXT. For the men, it will be Von Wagner going against Axiom, going against Andre Chase. And for the women, it will be Fallon Henley going against Wendy Chu, going against Indy Hartwell. Now, on to the matches on NXT. First, we have Roxanne Perez going against Indy Hartwell. Roxanne would win the match by pinfall by hitting Pot Rocks for the win. Again, this is to give Roxanne some momentum going into her match at deadline. So, that's what we had here. After this, we will have Jack going against Dante Chin. This is Jack's first match back on NXT and first match back on televised, just television in some time now. And Jack sporting, again, new look, black hair, black goatee, and he's portraying like a Judge Dredd type, like, situation here. Like, he's supposed to be like the judge, jury, and executioner, so that's his whole thing here. Uh, Jack would win the match by pinfall by locking in a arm trap sleeper on Chin, and then Chin would pass out, and he would be unconscious, and then Jack would hit Feast Your Eyes for the win. After the match, Jack would get a microphone and say that he's here to eviscerate the competition in NXT. It doesn't matter whether you're Wesley, Grayson Waller, Braun Breaker, Apollo Crews. You guys will all be eviscerated, and Jack is here to deliver justice, his brand of justice. So again, he's Doing the whole Judge Dread uh, situation here. It's cool, fine. We got Dijak back on television. That's cool. I'm happy with that. This whole Judge Dread thing, I'm going to see it as this thing goes on because I'm not a big fan right now. But again, we'll just have to see. Now, after this, we have Grayson Waller going against Duke Hudson, who had Andre Chase and Thea Hale in his corner. Grayson Waller would win the match by pinfall when Grayson was outside of the ring and he was close to both Andre and Thea and Duke would go for a big boot to hit Grayson with it, but Grayson would duck to the ground, and Duke was close to hitting Thea, but he would stop himself, and he would put his foot on the ground. Duke would grab Grayson up, throw him into the ring. Duke would go over to Thea to ask if she is okay, and he would tell her that he could stop his big boot anytime he wants, and you would see Andre Chase get pissed, and he would say, you could stop anytime you want, and he's referring to last week when Duke big booted him in the face and it was supposedly by accident but with duke saying that he could stop his big boot at any time andre chase is now thinking why didn't he stop his big boot last week before he hit him in the face so when duke got back in the ring he would get hit with a stunner by grayson waller and grayson waller would win the match by pinfall after the match you would see grayson waller go up to andre chase and he tells him i told you you see what i see now so now we're starting to 
see the wheel spinning in Andre Chase's head, and this is going to lead up to Andre Chase more than likely going against Duke Hudson somewhere down the line, probably sooner rather than later. Now, after this, we would get Keanu James going against Fallon Hindley. Keanu James would win the match by pinfall by hitting 401k for the win. Hopefully, again, put it into this whole rivalry with Keanu James and Fallon. The whole rivalry here was about Keanu James trying to buy Fallon Hindley's family a bar, but Fallon turned it down. I mean, it was something to give both women something to do on television, so I understand why they did it. But I'm hoping that after this match is done here, that'll be the end of it. After this, we had Javier Barnell going against Axiom. The reason why we have this matchup is because Javier Barnell, last week, he wrote down a list of people that he wanted to face, and Axiom's name was on the list. Last week, Axiom was not medically uh, cleared to compete because of the whole J.D. Medina bending his leg back. And now this week, Axiom is cleared to compete, so that's the reason why we have this match here. Axiom would win the match by pinfall by hitting the jumping savat kick, which they're now called in the golden ratio super kick, and he would get the win for that. So again, Axiom and actually, I'll say this right now, Axiom and Javier Barnell actually had a good match here. I didn't expect that because again, I don't know much about Javier or big body Javi as he wants to call himself here, but I don't know much about Javier Barnell. I don't know much. Axiom or yeah, Axiom, I know some stuff about him, because again, you can look up his stuff on uh, Peacock, or you can look up his stuff on YouTube, and you can tell that he's a good wrestler, but again, I'm not really focused on the UK wrestlers, except for the ones that I know him from, like, their independent time. A-Kid, I don't know much about his time on the independence. Oh, I'm sorry, Axiom. I don't know much about his time on independence, but just seeing what I have seen off of NXT television, and the little bit of stuff I saw from NXT UK, He's a good wrestler. He's a good guy. So hopefully uh, he gets his time to shine next week and he actually wins the triple threat match and he gets put into the Iron Survivor and he actually becomes one of the last guys surviving in that matchup. That's what I'm hoping for. But we'll have to see with next week roaming around. After this, we'll have J.D. McDonough going against Julius Creed with Brutus on the outside. The reason why we have this match is because J.D. went to the Diamond Mind uh, Dojo and he was talking with Ivy Nile, talking about how the Creeds do not stand a chance against Indy Shear, and the Creeds will walk in and question why JD is there. JD would tell him the conversation that he had with Ivy, and Julius would take offense to JD even being there and kick him out of his gym. So that's the reason why we have this match here. Now, during the match, Indy Shear would come down to ringside and watch the match, and the match would end in a DQ win for Julius Creed. When J.D. McDonough and Julius were outside of the ring, and Julius was using the ring post to help him to his feet, J.D. would get a chair and swing it towards Julius, but Sunga would rush over, push Julius out of the way, and J.D. would hit Sunga in the back, making the referee call for the bell. Now, Sunga would turn around with a pissed-off look, looking at J.D., and then J.D. will start taking some steps back and Veer would walk behind JD and JD bumps into Veer. So now JD's in between Indy Sheer. JD would tell them that he was going for Julius and points them towards the Creeds and Indy Sheer would look at the Creeds and walk over towards them, making JD run to the back. Veer would tell them that they want them at 100%, nothing less. And that's the reason why Sangha protected Julius Creed. So again, Indy Shear is trying to get respect from the people here. He's trying to get respect 
in NXT, and the only way they can win the respect is by beating the Kreeze, the most respected tag team in NXT at the moment. And you know what? I'm cool with that. It just doesn't make sense off of this one thing. Indy Sheer attacked the Creed brothers, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago? And now you mean to tell me that you want the Creeds at 100% nothing less? Okay, we're flip-flopping on the situation here. Yeah, I don't like the whole flip-floppy business. If they would have put the boost to Julius and say, we want to beat you guys up ourselves, we're not allowing anybody else to do that, that would be fine. Don't say you want them at 100%, nothing less. But you beat them up four weeks ago. It just doesn't, it doesn't make cohesiveness. That's all I'm trying to say here. If they would have fixed that by saying, yo, we're going to, we want to be the ones to beat you up, nobody else. I'm cool with that. But saying you want them at 100%, it doesn't gel. Now, after this, we would get Malik Blade going against Von Wagner with Robert Stone in his corner. Von Wagner would win the match by pinfall by hitting Death Valley Driver for the win. After the match, Von would go after Malik and go for another Death Valley Driver. But Idris and Nafe will run into the ring, and Idris will get hit with a big boot. And now you see Vaughn beating up Idris. Odyssey Jones would run down to the ring to help out Idris, and he would beat up on Vaughn Wagner to the point that he would close on him out of the ring, and Vaughn has to be stopped by Robert Stone because Robert's trying to calm down Vaughn so he won't make another mistake. And again, we're setting up for Vaughn Wagner to go against Odyssey Jones somewhere down the line. I'm cool with that. Two big guys just... Battling it out, I'm cool with it. Now it's time for the main event. Six-woman tag matchup of Toxic Attraction going against Nikita Lyons in the NXT Women's Tag Team Champions, Katana Chance and Kaden Carter. We were supposed to have this match earlier in the night, but Zoe starts with a tag and Nikita Lyons as she was making her entrance towards the ring. So when that happens, the match kind of gets sidelined here. We have to go to the back to see if Nikita is good. She gets checked on by the trainers. The trainer says Nikita's good, but she comes down to the ring with her legs, uh, with one leg taped up, and that kind of hinders Nikita in this matchup here, leading to Toxic Attraction to getting the win when Nikita's knee would buckle when she would try to hit the spinning kick on Mandy Rose. So when Nikita's knee buckles, JC and Gigi would then hit their high-low kick on Nikita and cover her for the win. And that's how Toxic Attraction will get the win. Now, after the match, you will see Kaden and Katana both go over to Nikita, make sure she's okay, checking on her. And Toxic Attraction's at the uh, entrance stage, gloating about their win. And then you will see Zoe Starks on the NXT perch, just standing there looking at Nikita Lyons in the ring. And she's just smiling, grinning at her work that she did earlier in the night. So again, we're building towards Nikita going against Zoe. And I think Nikita's probably gonna cost Zoe her match at deadline in the Iron Survivors matchup there. Maybe. I would think that that's the route that they should go, but only time will tell. That's your NXT wrestling highlights of the week. Now off to AEW Dynamite. Now the first thing to note is that on commentary this week, they would announce that next week on Dynamite there will be a battle royale where the winner of that match will be able to challenge MJF for the AEW Dynamite Diamond Ring whenever they want. So that is something to look forward to next week. On Dynamite, you will hear that Ricky Starks has entered himself into that matchup because he does make it known that he wants to take everything away from MJF and he wants to start with the Dynamite Diamond Ring. And also, Ethan Page has entered himself into the Battle Royale. So we'll have to see next week who 
else will be entering that battle royal and who will walk out as the winner and be facing MJF for the Dynamite Diamond Ring whenever they decide to. Now, with that out of the way, the first thing that will happen on Dynamite is John Moxley will come out to the ring and he will say that there's three constants in this life. Death, taxes, and John Moxley. Moxley will say that he has been at the top of the food chain in AEW and that there is nobody in that locker room that could say otherwise. And then we will get a return visit from Adam Page. Hey, man, Adam Page. Adam Page has been out since what? I believe late October because he got into a match with uh, Moxley for the AEW championship. Moxley hit him with a clothesline and that kind of concussed Hangman Page to the point that he couldn't move his body and that he got like stretchered out. So he's been on the shelf for a little bit, about a month. So he comes back here. He gets in the face of Mox. Mox makes a dig at Adam Page and says, you sure you want to do this? Do you not remember what happened to you? And then he would tap his own head and say, oh, you must not remember what happened. And this will upset Heyman Page to the point that he will punch Moxley in the face. And now we have a brawl on our hands. They will brawl inside the ring to the outside of the ring and then also around the ring until security and the referees will come out to break up the situation. There will be moments where both men will be able to break away from the people holding them to chase after each other. And also, once they finally are separated from each other, they will go to the back and you will see them both start to go after each other yet again to the point that security and everybody else in AEW would say that Moxley and Hangman Page will have to be escorted out of the building. So this is the last time that we would see Hangman Page and Moxley for the rest of the night. Now, after this, we get our first match of the night, which is Dax Hardwood going against Brian Danielson. Brian Danielson would win the match by submission by getting out of the sharpshooter and turning it into the label lock, making Dax tap out. I must say, Dax Hardwood, I did not expect him to come out in 2022 to like be one of the best wrestlers to come out of literally 2022. He's known for being a tag team wrestler, but since he's was given the spotlight to come out and just start wrestling in singles competition, AEW has been putting them against solid competitors. It started out with CM Punk. You had Brian Danielson, you had uh, Adam Cole, you had even his own tag partner, Cash Wheeler. He went against, I mean, Dax just comes out in 2022, literally looking like a guy that if they wanted to really break him out of, a tag team and he let him be a singles competitor he actually could and people wouldn't actually have a problem with it and we might get that from Dax maybe later down the line but right now he's known as a tag team competitor but I think he just wants to show everybody that he can wrestle in a singles uh, manner if they want to pivot that way and I like that so Dax was actually able to give Brian Danson a run for his money here but Brian Danson being one of the best wrestlers in the world he will leave with his hand held high now, after this, we will have our TNT Championship matchup of AR Fox challenging the TNT champion and also the Ring of Honor television champion, Samoa Joe. Uh, Joe would win the match by pinfall by hitting the muscle buster. AR Fox is now a contracted AEW wrestler. This was his first match under contract, and he actually had a good match with Samoa Joe. Uh, but you all knew what time it was. Joe was going to come out here, do what he got to do to AR Fox. But Fox was still able to get some offense on Joe, but in the end, Samoa Joe is still his first defense as champion, so he was not going to lose that to AR Fox. Um, after the match, Joe would get the mic, and he would make himself the self-proclaimed king of television, and Warlow would appear on the screen to let Joe know that he is coming for him because this is Warlow's world. 
So again, we're still building on the Samoa Joe Wardlow situation. They're going to proudly battle for the TNT Championship somewhere down the line. That's cool. Powerhouse Hobbs right now, he's on his own little thing. Uh, they were showing video of Powerhouse Hobbs' backstory of where he grew up in showing how he became the man that he is now. So that's the route that we're doing with Powerhouse Hobbs. We're trying to build him up from the ground and showing everybody where he came from. I don't really understand why we're doing this. I think AEW has no idea what they're doing with Hobbs right now. Uh, we all know where Hobbs came from. If you don't know, I don't think it matters right now because we saw him get into a feud with Ricky Starks. We saw him beat Ricky Starks. We saw him get into a feud with Warlow and have him have a match with Warlow and Joe at full gear. This doesn't need to show a backstory powerhouse Hobbs. Just let Hobbs get in the ring, do his business, and take care of it. That's what I think that should be happening, but again, I'm not in control of that. After this, we have William Regal come down to the ring. And Regal's out here because, again, as I said before, Moxley was um, took out of the building. He was not allowed, so this allowed William Regal to weasel himself down to the ring. And he will introduce the new AEW World Champion, MJF, to the ring. So MJF would come down to the ring. He has the AEW title wrapped around his waist. And once he got in the ring, he would hug William Regal. MJF would tell how he and Regal Unholy Alliance came together. MJF would say that once he got jumped by the firm, he received an email from Regal. And in the email, it would say that MJF has gone weak. It says that if MJF wants to fulfill his true potential, he wanted him not to use a dynamite ring in his match with Moxley, but to use the brass knuckles. So, MJF would say that Regal and MJF wanted to teach Mox a lesson, and it's that no one outsmarts MJF. MJF will go and talk about the firm, and he mentions that he isn't really mad at them because he would have done the same thing if he was in their position. And also, MJF isn't really bothered with the firm because he isn't going to chase them because that is below him. And he would say that's below him because... uh. He's a champion. He's not like everybody else. He's not like the poors that have to chase for something. He already has the richest uh, prize in this profession, the world championship. And speaking of the world championship, since he is the world champion, he is, wants to change a couple things around here. MGF will say that the world championship has been tarnished because a lot of people have held this particular championship. People that are not on my level. So, MGF decides to do away with that world championship. He takes it off of his waist, throw it out of the ring, and he would have Mr. Regal unveil the new championship that's in the ring. So, once Regal unveils the new championship, it's still the AEW championship, but instead of the black leather that it would be on, it's now in a Burberry pattern leather. So, it's basically the AEW championship with Burberry pattern on the leather. So he would call this the big Burberry belt. And MJF would say that he isn't going to defend this championship unless it's on pay-per-view. And you're probably not going to see him around AEW a lot because he is an attraction. He wants people to use their money to pay to see him. And he would say that he is going to hold on to this championship for a long time. And he will turn to the entrance and say that nobody in the back will ever be on top while he's on top. Not your fake tough guys like Eddie Kingston or Ricky Starks. 
or even someone like Brian Danielson who isn't on his level in this ring. And he would go over to William Regal and say, hey, no offense, no offense. Not You can't help everyone. And William Regal has a, like a mean like look on his face, but again, that's just William Regal's face. He always has a mean like scowl on his face whenever he's in this bad guy persona here. He would then say that he's going to have the longest time to reign and that he's going to use that championship into the bidding war of 2024 and that he hopes that the right con wins it. And he isn't talking about Tony. He's talking about his best friend, jolly old Saint Nick. And he's talking about Nick Khan, who has a position in WWE. And he even throws out a mention to Triple H, but he says, and even my boy trips. And then he was to change his tune and say, you know what? Maybe nobody wins the bidding war because he might go to Hollywood because he's starting to get tired of looking at these people's faces every single week. So MJF would proclaim that he's going to make the title reigns of Jeff Jarrett, Bruno San Martino, and Hulk Hogan seem short. MJF would raise the championship in the air and then quickly realize that he forgot to say something. So he puts the championship down, looks at Regal, and starts talking to Regal. MJF would hold up the brass knuckles and tell Regal that without you, none of this is possible. And that even though some people might not like what you did, they all respect you because you have a long legacy in, in this industry and everybody respects that. And you would see MJF put on the brass knuckles and he starts walking around Regal and then he nails Regal in the shoulder neck area. And Regal would drop on the mat. Now, when MGF does this, everybody in the arena just hits a big gasp. You hear the commentary team hits a big gasp. Tony Schiavone, Excalibur, and Taz is asking, what did MGF just do? And MGF would go over to Regal's prone body that's just laid out on the mat. He would kneel over to Regal, and he would tell Regal, It's funny. You said I had much to learn, and yet you're the one who made a deal with the devil. So allow me to leave you with the same words you left me seven long years ago. Will, the game has changed. MJF exclusively hires top talents or top world-class athletes. When you're one of them, send me your stuff. You're sincerely the world champion. Maxwell Jacob Friedman. Now, after MJF gets done saying this to Regal, he would pick up the Triple B championship, leave the ring, and walk through the crowd because he couldn't walk through the back because all the wrestlers probably would have mauled him. So when MJF walks through the crowd, security is helping him move throughout the crowd. You will see Brian Danielson and security run down to the ring and medics to check on William Regal. Regal still isn't moving he's lifeless at the moment uh regal will have blood coming out of his mouth brian danielson is yelling for mex to come down remember last week brian danielson was the one that made moxley promise not to attack regal because brian sees regal as a father figure and they would put regal on a stretcher and wheel him out of the arena into an ambulance and brian would get in the ambulance and they would ride off away so this is building up for mgf and brian danielson somewhere down the line because brian is not going to allow for this type of garbage to uh go unpunished especially when you attack a mentor and a father figure like regal that's not going to happen mgf is going to have to deal with a lot of people it's already been stated 
MJF threw out those three names in particular because he got Ricky Starks at uh, Winter is Coming in two weeks from now. Eddie Kingston's on his list next because Eddie Kingston is close boys with Moxley and MGF is calling uh, Eddie Kingston a bum and he's never going to win the world championship. That's kind of a problem. Kingston don't allow that type of uh, crap to go by unpunished and Kingston's coming after him. And now with knocking Will Regal completely out, Brian Danson's coming after uh, MGF next. So MGF's going to have a lofty couple of months on his hands here. But I saw that punch behind the head coming. I think anybody saw that coming because you saw him put the knuckles on his fingers and walk closely up to William Regal. Whenever you're supposed to hand something off to somebody, you don't put something in your hands. You don't put something like, if it's like a ring or something, you don't put it on your finger to hand it to somebody. You take it off and you hand it to him. Once he put it on his knuckles, I said, okay, he's going to punch William Regal. I thought he was going to deck him in the mouth. But he punched him behind the head and the back. It just was reminiscence of William Regal was giving MGF a free shot a month ago. And MGF didn't take the shot. So this was basically MGF playing the long game here. So I'm happy for this. And I'm also happy that we're not getting an MGF and William Regal partnership. Because again, I don't think that's the one that we need to have with MGF. Again, my whole idea is that whenever CM Punk comes around, I believe that's the one that should be mentoring MJF, and that's going to bring CM Punk, the real CM Punk, out, and I think everybody's going to enjoy that ride, especially, again, I think that we should get a Paul Heyman CM Punk-style run with MJF and CM Punk. Let CM Punk be the Paul Heyman to uh, MJF, the way that Paul Heyman was Paul Heyman for CM Punk, whenever CM Punk was in his reign of 2012 into 2013. But again, only time will tell with that when CM Punk comes back and hopefully he does align himself with MJF, but only time will tell. Now, after this, we have Ricky Starks going against Aria Davari. Ricky would win the match by pinfall in quick fashion by hitting a spear, then Rochambeau for the win. Ethan Page was out there on ring apron, not ring apron, but on ring uh, stage watching this, and he would just be furious because he... Uh, told Ricky at the beginning of the match that, yo, you're not going to win the Dynamite uh, Battle Royal next week because I'm going to do that and I'm going to beat up Max to win the Dynamite Diamond Ring and you're going to lose to Max at Winter is Coming and basically call Ricky a loser. So this is giving Ricky some fuel going into the Battle Royal and then going into the uh, championship match with Max in the next two weeks. Now, after this, we have Anna Jay with Ty Mel in her corner going against Willow Nightingale. Willow would win the match by pinfall by hitting the Dr. Bomb. After the match, Willow would leave the ring, and Ty would help Anna get to her feet and help out of the ring. And once she does this, Ruby Soho's music would play. And Ty would wait for Ruby to come out, but Ty not knowing, Ruby would already be in the ring behind her. So once Ty turned around, Ruby would attack her, and Ty would try to put up a fight, but Ruby would just beat up on her. Ruby would hit Ty with Destination Unknown on the ramp and leave Ty laying. Ruby Soho is back in AEW. She had her nose broken at the AEW All Out pre-show when it was her and Ortiz going against Sammy Guevara and Ty Mello for the AAA uh, Mixed Championships. Mixed Tag Team Championships. There it is. So she would get her nose broken in that match. And she's been out on the shelf for what? two months now, so now she's back here. It's good to see Ruby back here, and the fans loved seeing her back, so it was good here. 
Now it's time for Jay Cargill's TBS Championship Celebration. Jay Cargill will come down to the ring with Red Velvet and Layla Gray, her baddies. She fired Kira Hogan last week, so that's the reason why she's not around with Jade this week. Jade would get at Red Velvet and Layla Gray, telling them that they are basically eating off of her. And why were they hanging around with Kiara Hogan this weekend? She saw the photos on Instagram and she would tell them that they better get in line or they can step. She's basically tired of uh, basically holding people that's dead weight unless they are basically having her back and doing her bidding. So that's what she's telling both Red Velvet and Layla Gray here. Jade would then go off and say that while people can play around and say what they want, she puts butts in seats in that she is a star. She would say that you could put her next to anybody in the back. The casual consumer would say that she is the star. And she isn't wrong. Jade is a tall, muscular, attractive female. And she has star written all over her, just like Bianca Belair has star written all over her for WWE. If Jay Cargill was in the WWE system, I believe you, and I mean this, Jay Cargill would be on the exact same star power as Bianca Belair out here in these platforms. And Jay Cargill is starting to get out here on these platforms. She was just on Breakfast Club, what, two weeks ago to promote the Full Gear pay-per-view? And she was doing other media circuits. She's been out here, but Jay Cargill, if she had the WWE behind her machine, She'll be way out here doing commercials and everything else the way that Bianca Belair is doing it. So Jade, given the right promotion, and AEW is still a young company, but it has a lot of money invested in it. If they put a lot of money behind Jade Cargill to do commercials and everything else, she is a star. She truly is. And I think that Tony Khan and I think AEW and I know the rest of the fans out there know that Jade's a star whenever they see her come out, especially doing her... Uh, pay-per-view entrances, they know she's a star because she always does something different with her attire every pay-per-view. So, again, she has star written all over. So when she said that comment, I said she isn't wrong. Jade's a star. Jade would then turn her attention to Bow Wow because she and Bow Wow have been spatting at each other for the past month on Twitter. And she would say that Bow Wow is irrelevant. Then a video of Bow Wow will appear on the screen. Bow Wow will congratulate Jade on her win in regaining her TBS championship. And she will let, and he will let Jade know that he's off tour, and that he will be seeing her real soon. So Batwell is more than likely coming to AEW, probably to mess around on Jade's matches and probably cost her a couple matches, or probably almost cost her a couple matches here and there. And again, the hip hop dynamic in AEW is still a full force. I like it. I like seeing a lot of hip hop artists. Uh, interact with the AEW wrestlers this year of 2022. We've had Fabulous, we have Trina, we had Rick Ross, we had West Side Gun, we've had uh, Kevin Gates, now we're getting Bow Wow. I'm liking the uh, hip-hop uh, feature into AEW. I like it as being injected. Oh yeah, we had Little Scrappy too, so yeah. I'm all for it. After this, we had the main event of AEW. Uh, the Elite going against the Death Triangle. This is their third match in the Best of Seven series. This time, they would start off a little bit different. When the Elite would make their entrance, they do all that. Now, it's the Death Triangle to come out. The Death Triangle makes their entrance, but the Elite would jump them as they're on the ramp. So, the match will technically start right there, but the bell doesn't get really rang until all the participants in there. And this time, 
the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, the Elite, would get the win by pinfall when Pac would go for the Black Arrow on Matt Jackson, but Matt Jackson would put his knees up and Pac's face would land on Matt's knees. And Matt would then pin Pac and get one up on the board for them. So the Elite now are one and two against the Death Triangle. Remember, this is the best of seven series. The next match is in two weeks and winter is coming. And if the Elite win there, then they have a chance to tie up the score 2-2. If not, it'll be Death Triangle 3-1. Pac still is wearing a face mask because of his broken or fractured nose here. So when he landed on Matt's knees and he face like hit the mask pretty hard, that's the reason why he kind of got unconscious and Matt was able to get the win here. So again, Elite finally are on the board and now we're waiting until winter is coming. So they can get their, uh, probably get another win on the board. If I was making the show, I probably would have that happen, be two and two. And whenever they have their last match, because they're going to seven matches here, they need to put it like on a ladder match or have some type of specialty match for it to be special. Now, that was your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to Impact Wrestling, Bully Ray will come out to the ring. Bully is out here to explain what he did at Overdrive. Bully will ask the fans why are they mad at him. What did he do wrong? Bully will recall winning the Call Your Shot gauntlet at Bound for Glory. And he will remind everyone that he was going to call his shot. And that when he does it, he was going to stand in the middle of his ring and tell Josh Alexander that he was going to challenge him and shake his hands. And that was it. Bully would say that he did that at Overdrive. Bully would say that Josh Alexander is a great wrestler and is a benefit to the entire wrestling industry, and even he reminds him of Kurt Angle. But there's one thing Josh Alexander lacks, and it's being smart like Bully Ray. Bully would remind people that he is the guy that ran Hulk Hogan out of Impact Wrestling. He also beat Sting, so he could never challenge for the Impact Championship again, and he also was the same person that put Dixie Carter through a table. So Bully would ask, with all the things that he has done, why would Josh Alexander ever have his wife in the same building as him? And why would he have her so close that Bully could just grab her and he could do anything to her? So Bully would let everybody know that Josh isn't going to be here because he has to deal with some family trauma. And Bully would say that Josh can take as much time as he wants away from the square circle. But as long as he shows up to hard justice with the Impact Championship, that's all he wants, because Bully wants to become a three-time Impact World Champion. Once Bully says this, Rich Swan would run down to the ring and attack Bully from behind. Rich would beat up on Bully, and then a referee would come out, and they would have their match of Bully versus Rich. Rich would win the match by disqualification when Bully would use a chain to hit Rich in the neck when Rich was running towards him. Now, after the ref called for the bell, Rich would roll out of the ring, and Bully would follow him. Bully would get a chair and hit Rich in the back with it three times. Then Bully would go underneath the ring and pull out a zip tie. Bully would zip tie Rich Swan's arms to the bottom rope. And before Bully could hit Rich with a chair shot again, Tommy Dreamer would run down to the ring and push Bully and ask him what's his problem. Tommy Dreamer was the guy that constantly told everybody in Impact, Leo, listen, Bully has changed. You have my word. You can trust him. So, Tommy feels betrayed about what Bully has done at Overdrive, and even right now with him beating up on Rich, 
you would see Tommy asked Bully what's his problem. Bully and Tommy would get in the ring, and Tommy would ask Bully again what's his problem. Bully would say to Tommy, what happened to you? And he's referring to Tommy being the hardcore guy, the guy that did anything that he could for just anything. The same guy that was in ECW doing this, doing that. He's apparently calling Tommy Dreamer soft. Bully would shove Tommy, and Tommy would fall to the mat. This would lead to Scott Demore coming out to the ring and start getting in Bully Ray's face, and he starts shoving him. Bully would leave the ring, and then you see Scott Demore trying to get at Bully, but Tommy Dreamer would stop Scott Demore. You would see his referees come down to try to make sure that Scott doesn't get next to Bully, but Scott will push the referees off. You see Scott start uh, throwing chairs at Bully, some water even trying to spit at him from time to time, calling Bully a piece of crap to the point that Bully would grab his baseball cap, put it on his head, uh, get a microphone, and tell Scott, you know what? You're right. I am a piece of crap. I'm the piece of crap that you signed here. So, again, this is just nothing but Bully getting on the skin of Scott Demore, and Bully would try to get Scott to attack him, but again, Tommy Dreamer is the guy that's in the middle, making sure none of this... Uh, affects Scott Demore. He doesn't get fired or nothing from the people that actually owns Impact. And Bully is just walks away. He gets on the ramp. He is smiling ear to ear about the chaos that he has created here. And that's all Bully wants. He wants to create chaos and he wants to win the world championship here. And he got one of the two, right? He's created chaos, but he has to go against Josh Alexander at hard to kill. And we will see if he will be able to get that world championship. Next week, Josh Alexander will be in the Impact Arena. So more than likely, we're probably going to see Josh going against Bully, probably in a brawl, not in a match, in a brawl. After this, we will have Moose going against Bupinder Gujir. Moose would win the match by hitting a spear for the win. After Bupinder uh, dodged the first spear, Moose would hit him with a spear the second time, and Gujir would just fall victim to it, and Moose would cover him. Now, after the match, Moose would immediately start pounding on Gujir, then throw him out of the ring. Moose would get a mic and start telling the fans, I told you so about Bully Ray, saying that Bully was a piece of crap all this time. Moose would say that since he has done that, he doesn't want to hear the name Bully Ray no more. He doesn't want to hear people say his name. And once he says that exact phrase, out comes Joe Hendry, the digital media champion. And Joe Hendry would come down to the ring and get in the ring with Moose. Moose would ask Hendry what she's doing in his ring. Hendry would say that Moose called him out. Moose would say that he's talking about Bully. And he was talking about serious business. And he wants Hendry to get out of his ring. Hendry would say that he doesn't think that is what Moose wants. Speaking from a current champion to a former one. And he would pat Moose on the shoulder. Now, this would upset Moose, and Moose would try to sucker punch Hendry, but Hendry would see it coming, catch it, punch Moose, and now these two would get into a mini brawl, and Moose would go for a spear on Hendry, but Bupinder Gujir would hit Moose with a gargoyle spear, and Moose would roll out of the ring. Hendry and Bupinder would stand tall after this brawl. So, Hendry and Moose are our next feud. For both of these men. And it's more likely going to be with the Digital Media Championship. I'm cool with that. Give Joe Hendry something else to do. 
And it gives Moose something else to do because right now Moose is directionless. He needs to go out there a championship. Moose is a champion caliber wrestler, at least in Impact, the way that they have him pre- uh, presented. And for him to go out there the digital media championship, I'm cool with that. And Hendry going after a former world champion is just going to elevate his stock as well in Impact Wrestling. So it was a win-win in both men's situation here. Now, after this, we will have Steve Macklin going against Frankie Kazarian. Kazarian would win the match by disqualification when Kaz would pull Steve Macklin into the ring with a springboard cutter. And Kaz would pin Macklin, but Macklin would get his foot on the bottom rope, making Kaz let go of the pin. Macklin would then roll out of the ring get a chair, and hit Kazarian in the stomach, the referee would call for the bell. Now, after the match was over, Macklin would hit Kaz in the back with the chair and then throw Kaz into the ring. Macklin would put the chair down in the middle of the ring, grab Kaz, and nail a double underhook DDT on the chair. And this was Macklin basically sending a message to everybody in the locker room in the back. Macklin is tired of being left out of the main event picture, left out of the world championship uh, picture. So he wants the world championship, but he can't get it at this moment because, again, Bully Ray is going after Josh Alexander for the Impact World Championship. Hopefully after this, we get Steve Macklin going against Josh Alexander because for 2022, it seems that they were always trying to put Macklin into that main event spot with him beating the likes of Chris Saban and Jay White, him beating a Moose, him beating a Sammy Callahan, all former world champions, and Jay White being a current New Japan uh, heavyweight champion. Steve Macklin has beaten heavyweight champions. Why is he not in the main event picture? That's what Macklin is trying to figure out here. So with him beating down Kazarian, he's sending a message, put me in the main event picture, and he wants that done. After this, we get to the main event of Impact. Deanna Perrazzo going against Mickey James. Mickey James would win the match by pinfall when Deanna Perrazzo would get Mickey for a roll-up and grab her by the tights, but Mickey would reverse out of that roll-up into her own roll-up and grab Deanna's tights for leverage, and she would get the win. Solid match between both of the ladies. Uh, again, Deanna Perrazzo was out here to try to get revenge on Mickey James for beating Chelsea Green a couple weeks ago, and Chelsea Green has been away from Impact ever since then. And Deanna Praza wanted to get revenge on Mickey for that and also retire Mickey James. Because remember, if Mickey happens to lose another match in Impact Wrestling, she will be retired. But Deanna Praza did not get the job done here. After the match, the Knockouts champion Jordan Grace will come down to the ring and give Mickey James a championship matchup at Hard to Kill and Jordan would extend her hand to Mickey, and Mickey would shake it. So we have our Knockouts Championship matchup set for At Hard to Kill, Jordan Grace defending it against Mickey James, and the condition still stands. If Mickey loses that, she will retire. So that's going to be a nice little caveat to see if Jordan Grace is going to lose the Knockouts Championship, or is Jordan Grace going to be the one to actually retire Mickey James when it's time for Hard to Kill? Now, after the main event we'll play, we'll go to a video of Eric Young and Diener in an empty building, and they are sitting across each other with a table in between them, and on the table is a shank on the table. Eric Young would ask Diener a series of questions and ask him why did he join Vials by Design. Diener would say to get rid of the sickness. Eric would ask Diener, would you do anything to get rid of the sickness? Diener would reply, yes. Eric would say, what if the sickness is in the room? Would you get rid of it? 
Diener would look around and he would notice it's only him and Eric. And Diener's putting two and two together and he's knowing exactly what Eric's asking him to do. And Diener looks shocked at Eric. And Eric asks him again, what would you do? Diener would say, I would get rid of it. And Eric would say, I would do the exact same thing. So both men would try to go for the shank, but you see both of them just start getting into a brawl with each other. They brawl around this empty room, and Diener gets the better of Eric Young. He has Eric on the ground, punching him in the face. Blood's on Eric's face. Eric would tell Diener to do it. Get rid of the sickness. Diener would say, no, there's a different way we can do this. We can do this another way. Eric says, no, there is no other way. You know what you have to do. You are the designer now. Get rid of the sickness. So Diener would pick up the shank and shove it into Eric's body. You don't see it go into Eric's body because, again, this is pro wrestling. Come on now. Entertainment value. Uh, We don't see him shove the shank into Eric's body. We just see Diener get up, walk over to the table. You see the shank have some blood on it. You see Diener has blood on his hands, and you see Diener with a smile on his face. So this is, I believe, Impact's way of writing Eric Young off of Impact Television for some time. I think they'll probably have him off for a couple months or whatever the case may be until they need Eric Young back. But Diener is now the new leader of Violence by Design. That's what I took away from this segment here. And we're just going to have to see what happens uh, next week on Impact Wrestling. But with that, that is your Impact Wrestling, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with Sami Zayn in the bloodline, again without Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman coming down to the ring. Sami's in his ring gear. Sami will try to put over the Usos for their performance at Survivor Series War Games, but Jimmy will stop him and say tonight is not about them. Tonight is all about Sami Uso because Sami proved his loyalty to the bloodline and he was the MVP of War Games. Jay would tell Sami that for a long time he didn't like him. And that he didn't trust him. But what he did at Survivor Series proved that he could trust him and earned his respect. Jimmy would ask Sammy how he felt. And this would get the crowd chanting, Oosie, Oosie. And Sammy would say that he feels pretty Oosie. So Sammy and the Usos would do their handshakes. They would hug a little bit in the ring. And then the Brawling Brutes would come out. Sheamus would say that he is tired of hearing uh, Sammy's mouth. And it's time for a fight. So we get our first match of the night. Sheamus with the Brawling Brutes in his corner, going against Sami Zayn, who has the bloodline in his corner, and Sami will get the win by pinfall, thanks to the bloodline interfering. When Sheamus would hit a bicycle knee on Sami and had him set up for a white noise, Jimmy Uso would get on the ring apron and destroy the referee, and this would allow Jay Uso to get in the ring, superkick Sheamus, and Sami would roll up Sheamus for the win. So this was showing... Everybody that the bloodline is now one cohesive unit. There is no more fractures in the bloodline at this moment. After this, we go backstage and we see Bray Wyatt and he's doing a promo here. Bray would talk about how everyone has gotten comfortable over the years, how technology has made us comfortable and we have manners. But we forget that several years ago, we are just primal animals. He would compare it to people looking at Spiders eating flies and snakes eating rats just to survive. And Bray's basically trying to say that we're all basically animals deep down inside. Bray will say that he was not the one that attacked LA Knight last week, but he did hear the people cheer. He did hear how people 
reacted to LA Knight getting beat down. So he, again, this is proving Bray's point that everybody deep down inside of him are primal. They are animals. And he says that if he was the person that attacked LA Knight, if it was him, we would know because there will be no evidence left of LA Knight. Basically saying that Bray basically would have just taken him out. So LA Knight is still around here somewhere. He's still injured at this particular moment. Bray is saying that he didn't do it. But again, Bray having this little split personality disorder situation that he's having. One part could be true. The common Bray character doesn't know that he did anything. He's constantly going to say that he didn't do it. And then, well, the split person, Uncle Howdy, or whatever this caricature is, is the person that probably did do it. But again, we're all getting cryptic stuff from Bray Wyatt because, again, you got to follow all these breadcrumbs that Bray is laying out for people to follow it to dig deeper into what he's trying to present to everybody. That's what Bray Wyatt's whole thing is. So I'm just going to let Bray cook and just wait and see what he got in store for everybody else. Um, after this, we get Shayna Baszler going against Emma. Shayna would win the match by submission, by kicking the ropes, well, the second ropes, while Emma was on the top rope. This would make Emma stumble, and Shayna would grab her and hit her with an arm drag off the top turnbuckle, then apply the coquina clutch on Emma, making Emma tap out. Now, after the match, Shayna was looking to break Emma's arm, but Shotzi Blackheart would run down to the ring, and Shotzi would try to put up a fight with Shayna, but Shayna would get the better of Shotzi, and now she's looking to break Shotzi's arm. This will lead to Raquel Rodriguez coming down to the ring, and she has her arm in a brace, and Raquel will stand on the ring apron, and Shayna will look at Raquel, and as she's doing this, Emma would get to her feet, and Shayna would see... Emma right there, she knows Raquel's right there, she will leave the ring, and she starts counting the numbers up, and she knows that she's outnumbered, so that's the reason why she left the ring, and that's the end of this, so we're trying to build back Shayna being this unstoppable force, now that she's clicked up with Ronda Rousey, we're trying to bring back some brutality in the Shayna character that has been desperately needed for some time now, and hopefully we're getting back to NXT Shayna, but we'll have to wait as the time goes on. After this, we will have Kofi Kingston going against Gunther, who had Imperium his corner for about the half of this match. Because as soon as Imperium starts interfering in the match, Braun Strowman will come down to the ring and he would basically scare off Imperium. So it would be down to Kofi and Gunther. And Gunther would win the match by pinfall by hitting a last symphony, which is the Emerald Fusion. If you watch independent wrestling, you know what that move is. But if you don't, go to YouTube and you'll see the move. But he will hit the Emerald Fusion, which he's now calling the Last Symphony, on Kofi Kingston and get the win. This is Gunther's newer finisher, since Gunther couldn't beat Kofi Kingston with the powerbomb that he delivered to Kofi uh, like minutes before he hit this move. So he broke this new move out. Gunther's uh, showing everybody that he can basically beat anybody with any move that he wants to pull out at any time. So right now, Gunther has a clothesline, he has a powerbomb, and now he has this, the Last Symphony. And if he ever wants to just go back to the top rope and hit a big body splash, he still has that. So he got four moves that he could hit whenever he wants to finish his opponents off. So Gunther is just basically showing off his variety here. After this, we go backstage and it's the blow line. Sammy's locking up their locker room and says that he has a late night spot for them to go and eat. And Sammy was going to go out to the parking lot to pull the vehicle around. And Jimmy would stop Sammy and tell Sammy that Solo needs to go with him. Sammy will have a confused look on his face and ask Jimmy why Solo needs to come with him. 
And Jimmy will tell Sammy that you're starting to make a lot of enemies around here. So this is just for your protection. So Sola will go with Sammy to go out to the parking lot. And once they leave, Jimmy will ask Jay that, did you ever talk to Sammy about him lying to you last week? Jay would tell Jimmy that I talked to the Big Goose and he's referring to Roman Reigns and he's talking about at Survivor Series. And Roman told him that he would speak with Sammy and see where his loyalty lies. And Jay would remind Jimmy of Sammy's loyalty at Survivor Series inside the war games and uh, Sammy showing his true colors. And they would do their handshake, they're smiling, and then the Usos would get attacked by Sheamus with his shillelagh. And he would lay out the Usos, and he tells the Usos that if they make it past Elias and Riddle this Monday night still with the tag team titles, they have to face him and Drew McIntyre next week on SmackDown. So, on Raw, we're going to get a tag team title match of the Usos defending it against Riddle and Elias, and the winner of that match will go against Sheamus and... Drew McIntyre next week on SmackDown. So it's basically going to be a busy week for the Usos next week. After this, we have Damage Control coming out to the ring. And Bailey would say that they are here because SmackDown needs ratings. So that's why they called upon them. Bailey would talk about being in war games for a total of 95 minutes. She's talking about her time, Dakota's time, and EO's time all time together for 95 minutes. War games didn't last that long. So that was basically a oblivious type number to just throw out there to everybody. I found that stupid, but again, she's a heel. She's a bad guy. So, I mean, they're only trying to inflate their numbers as much as they can. So, good job to Bailey for doing that. Bailey will say that she is disappointed that nobody on SmackDown roster wanted to set up and square up and face them at Survivor Series. So, that's the reason why Bailey and Damage Control are here on SmackDown. They're going to be the SmackDown locker room role models. So, we're setting up something for Damage Control to be here up on SmackDown. Liv Morgan will come out and charge the ring to damage control. Liv would send Dakota Kai into the steel steps, EO Sky into the barricade, and start pounding on Bailey. Now, Dakota and EO will get in the ring and take Liv off of Bailey, and all three members of damage control will start beating up on Liv Morgan until a returning Tegan Knox will come and run down to the ring. Tegan will beat up on damage control until the numbers got too much for her, and then Liv would get a kendo stick. Return back in the ring and start hitting each member of Damage Control with the Kendo Stick. Tegan would then hit Bailey with a Shining Wizard, and this would make Bailey and the rest of Damage Control roll out of the ring and retreat up the stage. So Tegan Knox is back in WWE. She's re-signed again. That was another like signee, not a re-signee, but just a person that got fired during the pandemic. That Everybody was basically surprised, like, why would you let go? But again, Triple H trying to make everything right. He's bringing back people that he personally feels that can help their roster. Or he has some personal connections to them since he was in NXT and these were his babies down there. So I like Tegan Knox. So I'm glad that she's back here. And I think she had a raw end of her deal last time. So again, I'm happy Tegan's back here. Main event time for the World Cup Finals. Ricochet going to get Santos Escobar. Ricochet would win the match by pinfall by hitting a reverse Huron Karana off the top turnbuckle, then a series of moves that finish off Santos with a 630 Centon for the win. So Ricochet will be facing Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship in two weeks. And after the match, you will see Ricochet hold up the World Cup-like trophy as fireworks goes off. Gunther will come out and we will have a face-off between Ricochet and Gunther. Uh, Ricochet and Santos, they had a good match here. Um, they had a match in a promotion called Lucha Underground. It was on the El Rey Network. 
in 2015. It's easy for you to look that up on Google. If you look up King Coroner going against Prince Puma, that was Ricochet and Santos Escobar character names on that promotion. And they had a good match then. And I expect nothing less here when I saw the finals. Um, there was one particular spot in the match that I swear I just don't understand why some of these wrestlers take a lot of these high-risk moves here. It was whenever Ricochet and Santos Escobar are both standing on the barricade, and Santos would hit Ricochet with a hurricanrana off the barricade onto the like outside floor. And again, the outside floor is only nothing but concrete floor with a little bit of padding covering it. So Ricochet's hitting thin pad with like concrete on the bottoms. So I don't understand why wrestlers would take that type of risk to their body. I just don't understand that. I understand you get slammed and all that type of stuff in the ring, but on the outside of the ring with a hurricane runner, I can't, I can't do it. I would never do it. That just seems completely unsafe to the body. You're taking some uh, time expectancy off your well, body in your ring ability as you're doing that. So again, I just don't see it, but Ricochet has been doing this for a long time. So his body's probably like used to doing stuff like that. But even with people doing things like that and they're used to it, they still got a ticker on their body until their body just like gives up and say, you know, I'm not doing that no more, or I'm going to make this extremely painful for you the next day. So hopefully Ricochet is only going to do that whenever it's like needs to be done. This one, in this match, Okay, cool. It was the World Cup Finals. You want to prove how uh, much it means to both you and Santos. Fine. But hopefully we don't get that many more uh, type of situations happening with Ricochet. Because Ricochet is Mr. WWE Highlight himself. And I hope that he continues to be the highlight of WWE going into 2023. That's just my whole personal thing into that. But anyway, that is your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to AEW Rampage, where the first match will go off with Darby Allen going against Cole Carter. Darby Allen will win the match by pinfall by hitting the Scorpion Death Drop, then finishing off Cole Carter with the Coffin Drop for the win. And it would be announced later in the night that next week on Dynamite, Darby Allen will be challenging Samoa Joe for the TNT Championship next week on Dynamite, and both Warlow and Sting are barred from ringside. Now, after this, Renee Paquette will introduce the Acclaim with Billy Guns coming out to the ring. And Renee will ask the Acclaim what's next for the Acclaim since they are still the Tag Team Champions. Anthony Bones will talk about Jeff Jarrett interrupting them last week and say that Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal might want a shot at the Tag Titles, but they're going to have to wait in line. Anthony would say that there is one team in particular that has been waiting a long time for a shot at the Tag Titles, and the fans start chanting for FTR, FTR, Declaim, say that they are fighting champions, so they turn down no challenges. And before Anthony could say the tag team, who they're going to want to challenge for the belts, out will walk out the gun club. And they say they're the best tag team here. And then Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal will come out. And they say that they are the best tag team here, not the guns. Billy will stop both teams from bickering and tell them that we want the best. And then FTR will come walking out, walk past both the Gun Club and Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett, walk down to the ring, get in the ring with the Acclaim. Now you have the Acclaim and FTR staring at one another. The Acclaim and FTR will shake hands, and it becomes official. Next week on Dynamite, the Acclaim will put up their AEW Tag Team Championships against FTR. Now will FTR end 2022 
having four tag team titles at one time, or they still will have three. All that will be figured out next week on Dynamite. Now, after this, we will have Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal with Sanjay Dutt and Sanam Singh in their corner, going against Private Party, who had my Hardy in their corner. Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal would win the match by pinfall by hitting the stroke-slash-lethal injection combo on Mark Quinn for the win. So this gives Jeff and Jay Lethal a win mark in the tag team column. After this, we'll have Athena going against Danny Moe. Uh, Athena would win the match by pinfall by lifting up Danny on her shoulders, then spinning her off into her knees to the face for the win. After the match, Athena would throw Danny Moe out of the ring, then into the barricade, then into the steel steps. The refs will come out and try to stop Athena, but Athena would shove the referees away from her, and Athena would run her knees into Danny as she's laid next to the steps. So Athena just inflicts more pain on Danny Moe here. Athena has a new attitude here. Athena came in to AEW about the beginning of the year as a crowd favorite. Everybody loved Athena. Athena loved the crowd. Now, Athena's all about herself. She's all about trying to make an impact. She's all about doing whatever she got to do, afflicting as much punishment on her opponents as much as she can. And that's basically what Athena's on. And also, we're trying to uh, give Athena much more... I believe credibility or much more uh, momentum going into her match with Mercedes Martinez next week at Ring of Honor's final battle for the Ring of Honor Women's Championship. So again, we're trying to give Athena more momentum here. And also, I forgot to mention, Juice Robinson has signed with AEW. And Juice Robinson appeared and he said that he's challenging Samoa Joe at final battle for his Ring of Honor television championship. So that's another match to look forward to as well as Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland going against Shane Taylor and J.D. Griffey. This match came about because Keith Lee was backstage with Renee Paquette, and Shane Taylor walks up on Keith Lee, and Shane asks Keith, why does he always run off on family? He mentions Keith leaving Swerve at full gear, Keith leaving him at Ring of Honor six years ago, and him leaving J.D. Griffey, in Texas years ago as well. So Shane would tell Keith that he's challenging him to a tag match, him and JD Griffey going against Keith and a tag partner of Keith's own choosing, if he could find one. So once Keith is left alone, Swerve would walk up on Keith and you see Keith look at Swerve and he asks him, can I even trust you? Swerve would take off his glasses and smile at Keith and Keith would just walk away. So the match gets made official at Ring of Honor's final battle. It will be Shane Taylor and J.D. Griffey going against Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland. So that match gets made, and I'm happy here. Shane Taylor was one of the bright spots of the pandemic time for Ring of Honor. He, Him and his uh, Shane Taylor Enterprises, him, Moses, and Khan. Khan, who's with AEW now. Moses has not been with AEW. Um, I'm just glad Shane Taylor got somewhere for people to see exactly who he is. And for people to recognize a big man that has not been on television for some time now that should be on television. So I'm hoping that Ring of Honor, AEW signs Shane Taylor off. And then we get to see Shane Taylor promotions or Shane Taylor just be on television because Shane Taylor needs to be on television. I will sign a petition for that any day of the week. Now, off to the main event, a Rampage. The Lumberjack match for the All-Atlantic Championship. QT Marshall going against champion Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy would win the match by pinfall when he would hit the beach break on QT Marshall for the win. 
Now, after the match, Orange Cassidy would hit a suicide dive on Kip Sabian because Kip Sabian almost cost Orange Cassidy the championship when Penelope Ford came down to the ring, got on the ring apron, and distracted Orange Cassidy as he was on the top turnbuckle. And you would see Kip Sabian run down and get on the ring apron and throw Orange Cassidy off the top turnbuckle into QT Marshall so he could hit the diamond cutter. And QT Marshall almost got the win off of that. So that's the reason why Orange Cassidy went after Kip Sabian after the match. So as Orange Cassidy and Kip Sabian are fighting up the ramp, all the other Lumberjacks will start brawling with each other around the ring because that's usually what happens in a Lumberjack match. All the Lumberjacks will start fighting with each other. A couple of Lumberjacks get in the ring and the lights will go out. Everybody knows what time that means. So when the lights pop back on, they're red, and you see Malachi Black and Buddy Matthews in the ring, and you see Brody King and Julia Hart on the ring uh, apron, not ring apron, the entrance ramp, and you just start seeing Malachi and Buddy Matthews start beating up a couple of the Lumberjacks inside the ring, Brody King beat up a couple of the Lumberjacks outside of the ring, Brody gets into the ring, and you just see Buddy Matthews holding one of the guys and he throws him into uh, Brody King, and he hits Dante's Inferno. Now, you see Buddy Matthews grab Ortiz. Ortiz was one of the Lumberjacks, and Malachi Black looks at Buddy and says, not him, put Ortiz down. And Buddy puts Ortiz down, and you see Malachi just looks at Ortiz as Ortiz rolls out of the ring, and you hear him say, not time for him yet. So I'm thinking, okay, we're setting up for Malachi Black and the rest of his House of Black guys going against probably Ortiz and Eddie Kingston, probably somewhere down the line. Because for that to be a moment, because House of Black was wrecking shop. They were beating up everybody around the ring and inside of the ring. And for that moment to say, not Ortiz, that means that they're building something here. So Eddie Kingston versus Malachi Black, I'm cool with that. I will be waiting for that any day of the week. And hopefully that's what we're going to get. And I'm just waiting for the return of Santana. Santana got hurt at Blood and Guts. That was during the summertime. And I believe he's going to be out until probably like, what? March, April, maybe? Because I think he tore something in his leg. So that takes some time to recover. So I'm not sure when he's going to come back to AEW. But when he does come back, I'm hoping that he and Ortiz and Eddie Kingston will get back on the same page and they'll go against uh, House of Black. That's only if Santana is able to come back earlier than expected. But for right now, Ortiz and Eddie Kingston going against House of Black, I'm cool with that. But at the end of Rampage, we'll just basically get chaos with everybody just fighting everybody. All the Lumberjacks fighting everybody. House of Black uh, wrecking shop as well. But that's the end of AEW Rampage here. Now, with that all being said, I hope you guys have a great Saturday. I know this was a long episode. Uh, the MJF and William Regal one took up some time, but I needed to like include everything in that. But I find that doing long episodes like this is just really cathartic for me. And uh, again, I want to thank you all for listening. I hope you guys have a great Saturday. I hope you guys tune into the Sunday episode. Tomorrow is going to be called uh, Outrage Season. And I'm pretty sure if you don't know what that means yet, you're going to find out what that means tomorrow. But with that all being said, I love you all. I thank you. Please have a good Saturday. Please don't be a dick. Be kind and courteous to everybody that you come in contact with. And Kanye, could you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh -huh. Jesus wept. Uh -huh.